Well, welcome everybody. This is Phil Town. This is Danielle Town. We're here for Invested, the podcast about how to manage your own money and get high returns with low risk. And even if that's possible to do that kind of stuff, we call this Warren Buffett style investing. And uh, it comes from Warren Buffett, not surprisingly, who said that <laughs> there are basically uh, no fabulous secrets about investing. You invest when other people are fearful. You buy wonderful businesses when they're on sale. And you're if you do that, you're certain to make money uh, in the long run. So that's kind of what we're talking about on this show. And um, what are we talking about this week? Yeah, um, well, we've been talking about real estate for the last two episodes, I think. And generally, we've been talking about investments not in the stock market for the last few weeks. Well, yeah, yeah, Uh, we kind of got into that because um, a a couple of years ago, Warren Buffett wrote in one of his annual reports um, about investing in a farm and investing in a piece of real estate in New York City as really great models for what good stock investing should be all about. And I think that that's really a valuable insight because probably, you know, the majority of people who think about investing are not particularly intimidated by investing in real estate. You know, I mean, people buy homes, people buy apartments and and real estate's a very common way for people to invest. And there are programs on the air called Flip That House. And, you know, I was just, you know. Everybody's I think it's a, I think it's the least intimidating form of investing because it's yeah. something uh, it's something you can see it's something you can touch it's something probably in your community you probably have a sense of the market and uh, and you can actually see what you're buying which is not true of stocks. Well, it's kind of not true. I guess I guess I mean you could right that. like that's a simplistic way of saying it but you don't get you you can get your stock certificate if you really want it but it's still just a piece of paper. Whereas if you buy real estate, you are actually buying something tangible. Well, I, just, I sort just, of, go I, I got that, but I just sort of rather think that um, when you're buying uh, shares of a company, it's as if you're buying the entire company. And so rather than think about it as a piece of paper, just forget the fact that you're taking a piece of a company and start by just thinking I'm buying the whole thing so that you don't begin with this idea that it's vastly different than owning a piece of real estate. You wouldn't buy a piece of real estate without looking at it, probably. Um, although I I do believe Buffett bought that place in New York without, without looking at it. The place on friends. Washington Square Park? Yeah, I think his friends said, just do it. <laughs> but um, generally, you would look at the real estate. Well, I'm sure he's he's it. walked through Washington Square Park before. Um, he knows what, he, probably, what he's looking at. Probably true. So I think, you know, if you're looking at owning a piece of uh, Chipotle Mexican grill, you would go over and, you know, buy a burrito. You would check it out. You'd talk to the people who work there. You'd probably try to understand how that franchise worked. You know, you'd get into it just like with a house. Fair point. But you're right. It's it's more complicated in the sense that housing is pretty straightforward. There it is. Location, location, location. And you have uh, tenants that you're going to bring into this thing and put into this building and um, most people can, you know, feel pretty comfortable about grasping that. So if we just said, look, you're not going to invest in, in a house or you're not going to invest in a business any different than you'd invest in a house, I think we're on pretty firm ground. And that's why we sort of started into this real estate thing. Yeah. And we started this whole thing out with Charlie Munger's, who's Warren Buffett's partner, right? Yep. Charlie Munger's four principles of investing, which I think is... Um, 
a good way to think about the difference between buying a share of Chipotle <laughs> and an actual house. Like you can you can go through those principles and and relate them to both of those kinds of investments. Yeah, and if they if they come out the same way, then then investing is investing. You know, whatever you're investing in, you treat it as if number one, um, it is something you must be capable of understanding. Number two, that it's a business and that it has some kind of intrinsic characteristic that gives it durability that you're going to be there for a long time. And I think that's where people feel very comfortable with real estate, right? Is that that intrinsic characteristic that makes it valuable is called location. And yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. So that's what the first thing. Construction and all the stuff that you can see. Yeah. You know, and, and certainly if, if you don't know anything about real estate, then you might buy a place in a terrible location or in a location that's going downhill. Um, and if you know a lot about real estate, you'd be buying real estate in a place that's already downhill and it's on its way uphill. You know, you'd buy, you know, a, a, a piece of real estate that's on the edge of an expansion or a gentrification of an area that's getting nicer all the time. So you 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 got to have a clear idea of what that intrinsic characteristic is that protects the business or you're really not capable of making a, an intelligent assessment of the value of this thing. The same thing goes with real estate. The fact that, you know, the last 10 years uh, the house has rented for $1,000 a month doesn't mean that then the next 10 years it's going to rent for $1,000 a month. Yeah, that's true. You know, it you could be, you know, buying into Detroit in 1980. And I'm sorry, but at the end of 20 years later, you don't have a piece of real estate at all. It got bulldozed. So, you know, you really, you know, real estate's easier, but it still follows the same principle. Be capable of understanding the business as a business. Make sure that it has some sort of durable intrinsic characteristic. And and then, you know, you're the guy running it with real estate. So you're, you know, you have to assess your ability. Are you, do you have talent to do this? Can you, can you make this happen? Um, are you going to take care of things as if you're the owner? Because you are the owner. Um you have to make an assessment of the CEO of of, uh, of Chipotle and you have to see if that's going to be a guy you want to put money with. And then finally, with businesses, you want to buy them at, with a big margin of safety. With real estate, same exact thing, but much, much, much harder to do. Almost, I would say, buying real estate with a big margin of safety is right next to impossible for most people. And that's the difference right there, I think. With real estate... You're not really investing. Most people don't invest in real estate. Most people speculate in real estate, meaning that they have no margin of safety. The essence of an investment versus a speculation is that with an investment, you have a margin of safety. You have a built-in uh, balance against, as Charlie says, the vicissitudes of life. Things can go up and down. And if you don't have that, then what you have to hope for is that the business goes up in price. You just have to hope that or you're not going to make any money. <clears throat> With real estate, most people speculate there. And why? Because it's very hard to buy a piece of real estate at a bargain. You need to have something that has some serious problems with it. Um, you know, either the area itself has been torn terrible and it's a terrible neighborhood and nobody wants the real estate or the building has problems with it. You know, Melissa and I took a look at a at an old printing building over in Noonan where, you know, we looked at it, we could see cracks in the walls, we could see cracks in the foundation. 
And some other people came in and bought it a few months after we'd looked at it who have the expertise to determine uh, whether they can fix those things. Obviously, they decided they could. Yeah. And they came in and bought it. We don't we don't know how to do that. So we had to pass on that one. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And the interest in actually managing it, as you said, you know, you're the owner, you're the CEO. So you have to manage it. Yeah, and I got to manage it. So as somebody who knows nothing about, <laughs> I don't know what you're going to do with that building, but as somebody who knows nothing about a printing factory, um, I don't know how you're going to manage it. I know. Well, we're trying to get a margin of safety, right? So this is an old printing building abandoned um, that the city of Noonan would like to have seen fixed up, right? And made nice because it's right near the, the square. And um, we were going to put in commercial on the bottom and put in, uh, I think, four condos on the top. And, you know, yeah. And that would that would be something that we thought we could have a good margin of safety in and we would make money. But you know what? We decided we just didn't know enough about this business. And number one and number two, I always hesitate when it comes to real estate around the idea of how much am I going to have to do in managing this business in this building. I don't really want to go fix people's toilets. Okay. I don't want to be calling somebody at two in the morning, have them, you know, have them go over there and, and take care of a leak in the roof. It's just that, you know, I just so much rather that somebody else do that. And the problem with real estate is that you have to have a lot of real estate before you can get somebody else doing all those things. Otherwise you have to do them yourself. And personally, I would just rather buy the real estate through um, a real estate in investment trust. And these are called REITs in the stock market. And they're yeah, stocks. Yeah, you mentioned you that. Buy. You mentioned them last time. So before we get into them, because I want to find out, you know, <laughs> how that works, <laughs> because it sounds an awful lot like an index to me. Um, let me just say that if you're new to the show, go check out investedpodcast.com. It has all of our, not all of them, I think most of our old shows, and particularly the first five or six are where we went really carefully through those um, principles of Charlie's. And I would say that's a great place to start. Um, finally, if you want to add questions, send us your questions. Questions at investedpodcast.com. We're checking them. Um, and I'm going to run out of questions at some point. So send us your questions. We got one. We got one. Well, that's, You're you know what? That's actually probably questions. not true. <laughs> but <laughs> you can still send us your questions. So we got one from a listener named Bryn asking about um, Betterment and investing apps, which we've mentioned several times, probably more than several times already, because people keep asking me about them and because they're so prevalent these days. So we're definitely going to come to that. We want to get through um, our series here on other stuff people are doing, like real estate, and then we'll move on to investing apps, because I definitely want to talk about that. And, I, and just, just um, as a, I have several on my phone that I'm curious to know what you think about. And just as a brief aside, I, I just think that these robo uh, advisors that are coming online and sucking up more and more of the wealth of the uh, uh, from um, active advisors, you know, they're just computer programs that that spread your capital across a specific number of exchange traded funds or indexes based on your risk profile. And I love it. I, to me, it, it is. Um, it is just the ultimate result of a philosophy of investing that says that you can't beat the market, that um, risk and reward uh, are necessarily connected, that you can't get a higher return without a lot more risk. 
Um, in other words, all the things that they basically tell you in financial advice out there have come to their ultimate fruition, which is the elimination of the human <laughs> element. They, you don't need an advisor. If, if, if they're right about the world being that way, what do you need an advisor for? You just have, you know, betterment or wealth front or whatever it is, just do the robo thing and spread your money across a bunch of indexes. And you've done as good as any advisor can do out there for you. And you don't need to be paying them that money. So I am oh, like I'm sure right advisors on. would take a lot of exception to that statement. Yeah, well, let them prove that they have a value. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we will talk a lot more about that. Thank you for your email, Bryn. And let's talk about REITs. Let's talk about REITs. So REITs are R-E-I-T. It's an acronym for yep. Real Estate Investment Trust. Yep. And, and apparently uh, you can buy them in the stock market. You can. They are they are a public company and they are treated differently than most stocks. And uh, and what's the the major different about the difference about them from a regular stock is that with a regular stock, your company pays taxes. Um, and then what's left is uh, if you ever wanted to get cash out of it would be a dividend, which is a a a. a, a a distribution of the after-tax money of the company. So if you have a company that makes $100, um, it gets taxed at roughly $40. It makes has $60 left. And that's what it could send out to its investors is the $60, right? With a real estate, and, and the problem with that, of course, is that when you get it, you get taxed on it again. So if you're, a, if you're a, a, an investor with typical net worth, you're going to pay, let's say they give you the $60, you're going to pay another $12. So ultimately, it ends up that the federal government has these private companies out there who are making $100. The federal government takes about 40 of it right up front, and then it takes another 12. So your partner, the federal government, is taking over 50% of the money out of U.S. corporations, um, not to mention the money that it takes if the corporation were to be profitable overseas where it would pay taxes in Switzerland, say, at in Switzerland, you pay 20% tax. So over there, if they made $100, they'd pay uh, $20 in tax and have $80 left to bring back to the United States. But when they brought it back to the United States, the United States would tax them on the $100 again. And they'd pay another 40. And they'd end up with, with at that point, um, $40, right? They paid 20 in tax to Switzerland, $40 in tax to the United States government. Then they hand that back to their investors and they pay 20% tax on that and you end up with $32. So the federal government takes, on, in terms of overseas profits, they take about 70, uh, 68, 70%, something like that, which is just highway robbery. I mean, it's just unbelievable that they, they do this kind of stuff. And it'd be great to get somebody into office who stops that kind of insanity. It's just insanity. Yeah. Well, I haven't I haven't checked any of those numbers and I'm not a tax lawyer, so I'm just going to let all that <laughs> go without comment. Well, okay. <laughs> I, once enough. again, send us your comments. <laughs> so I, I, <laughs> I, would, I would love for somebody who knows what the hell they're talking about to send me an email saying everything he just said is wrong. <laughs> Here's why. Danielle, come on. Questions at investedpodcast.com. Oh, You're going to go fishing for somebody and I know we're going to have a conversation about that. And the reason I say all that is because a REIT, a real estate, 
That's R-E, that's real estate. Investment trust, I-T, R-E-I-T. A REIT has a different tax structure to it. With a REIT, they are restricted to investing in real estate. Um, and these companies um, pass through, 90% of their earnings go straight through without taxation. So that's a big deal, right? So if you made $100 in a REIT, they would pass through $90 to you without touching the taxes instead of passing through 60. So what's the structure that lets them do that? What's it's, the legal structure? They just made a law about it. Real estate uh, has a huge lobby and it wants to be treated differently. And they just did it. Um, they just went out okay. and did it. I'm going to find out what the legal structure is because I actually, one of my best friends is a real estate lawyer and handily, she will tell me how they did that. Okay, so good. I'll, you can come I'll, back and tell I'll, us. I'll come back and tell us next time. <laughs> very, very cool. I, I would like to know that myself, but I, all I know from an investor point of view is it is that way. And that's the advantage of REIT investing um, is that you're investing for cash flow, just as you would if you owned real estate. You're actually investing for two things. You're investing for cash flow and you're investing for the growth of what they call NAV and net asset value um, or the equity of the real estate, right? So if you owned a building, you'd be getting cash flow. If you bought it at a good price, you'd be getting cash flow from rent. Um, that would be, let's say, the, the dollars that you got in in rent, let's say $1,000 a month, minus um, the amount you have to pay for insurance and for uh, property tax and um, to maintain the property. And if you've got a lot of real estate, the amount that you'd be paying for property management on top of that. And so, in fact, you know, if you were renting your apartment out in Boulder, you'd be paying a property manager probably to do that rental, wouldn't you? Well, yeah, I'm not, I don't know how to fix a toilet. So, yeah. yes. So they may, they'll maintain it for you and they'll manage the property and they'll also rent it for you, right? Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think you pay them extra to do that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you take off out of your thousand dollars, you take off the monthly cost of all of those things. And let's say you have three hundred dollars left. Um, so with your with your real estate investment, that three hundred dollars comes into your pocket. And with a REIT, um, two hundred and seventy of that dollars comes into your pocket without taxation. The other ten dollars is still yours. It's just taxed. OK, wait a second. At, at say that again. Level. Which one gets me the three hundred? Well, let's say both of them would get you 300 but one of them is a REIT and one of them is your own property. Yeah. Okay. So with the REIT, they're going to pass through. They, they're legally able to pass through $270. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, right. got it. 90%. They can pass that through without any taxation. They can pass it all through if they want to, but there's a little tax on it. Um, and they don't have to pass through $270. They may want to use that some of that cash to buy more businesses with, right? So, um, but the key thing is that the REIT is in a different tax world than a regular corporation. And the reason people buy them is because they can own real estate without, with all of those aspects of real estate that you would have to do on your own or hire someone to do, those people are already hired by the REIT. They run the REIT. In fact, they are usually the founders of the REIT, which means you're probably getting the A team for property management, property acquisition. They're okay, the so best a, there is so in the world. So a REIT essentially buys multiple pieces of real property. Yes. 
and manages them and is publicly traded on the stock market. Yes, ma'am. And, and, the, and the point of them is that they own lots of different pieces of real property, right? Right. You have a lot of different pieces of real property and you can choose since Charlie Munger said, hey, we better be capable of understanding the businesses that we invest in or we're not really investing, then you're going to need to understand what the REIT is investing in, which could be a large variety of, of real property. Um, you know, REITs invest in things like, man, they're in, they're in every single state. Here's just a, a list of the things that they invest in. Here's a, uh, let's see if I can find one. Well, so it sounds to me like if I'm buying a stock or I'm buying a company, as we say, that owns many multiple pieces of real property, say all in one state or maybe in multiple states, can they operate in multiple states? Oh, yeah. Uh, They can operate in multiple states. They're in multiple countries. Um, You can buy real estate all over the place. Okay. So they've got a ton of different stuff. And I could probably go find out which pieces they own, but that's probably not going to give me all that much information because it's going to be in places I've never been. So it sounds to me like management is going to be really important in this investment decision. As it is in every investment decision, uh, management is extremely important. You want talented managers. um, And, you know, you you might debate whether it's more important to have talented managers in in, uh, owning Whole Foods or owning a REIT that owns Whole Foods. I don't know which one maybe is more important. But, yeah, you definitely want talented managers. I guess so. But I feel like I can I can like evaluate Whole Foods on the business that they operate, whereas I don't really have any way to evaluate what buildings this REIT owns and whether or not they really do a good job with them because I can't go see them without a lot of expense. Well, that's fairly true, although you're on the Internet now, and it's certainly a lot easier to kind of take a virtual visit on on office buildings than it used to be. And most REITs do a pretty good job of putting up every bit of information you could you could access about those office buildings. And um, just as a plug for REITs, the information you're getting about that office building is very likely to be accurate, um, not not incomplete in some way. Whereas when you go out to buy office building on your own, you know, it's really laissez-faire out there. You may not be getting the information that you need to make a good judgment on this office building. Um, but I do think it is very important you have a good management team. But I will say, you know, the management teams of most of these REITs are world-class. You know, that's how they got billions of dollars or hundreds of millions of dollars of real estate. You don't just do that by happen to be, you know, happen to be lucky. Sure. Um, now, that said, there are REITs in all sorts of of aspects of real estate. So for example, there are, we talked about offices, that's office REITs. Then there's industrial REITs that are managing, um, you know, like industrial facilities, those big, huge industrial parks that you see alongside the highway. Many of those are owned by REITs and then leased out to, you know, Chrysler Corporation or somebody. Um, Then there's retail REITs. So REITs own things like the building that Whole Foods is in, if Mm -hmm. Whole Foods is leasing it. Um, they would own things like, um, oh gosh, shopping centers, um, you know, big box retailers, uh, you know, people are talking about turning Sears, Sears just turned a lot of its property into REITs and, and sold it off (laughs) as an individual company. Really? That's so interesting. Yeah. So that they could, here's this asset. A lot of people don't realize this, Danielle, but when you put an asset on your books of a public company, um, that's being audited, 
if you buy real estate, let's say um, you're Sears and you buy this ground, you know, a whole big, huge shopping center worth of ground, and then you put up this building, the, the value of that on your uh, balance sheet is just your cost. Okay. Now, okay. Sears has been around for a long time. So that means they would have ground that they bought, let's say, in 1940. Yeah. <laughs> well, that ground is on their asset, uh, on, as an asset on their balance sheet at the price they paid in 1940. Sure. All right. So what Eddie Lampert did, the guy that pretty much manages and owns Sears, is he said, we're going to unlock a lot of this value by spinning off all that dirt and those buildings. We're going to spin them off into their own public company called a REIT. And they did that. And it, you know, it's worth billions of dollars because now they can revalue all this real estate as they go public. They're going to revalue it all and say, hey, the assets of this business, according to um, all of these appraisals, is this. And that's what you're getting. So they unlocked billions of dollars of value by doing that. So that's yeah, a, that's that makes a, a lot of sense. Yeah. It's a don't, don't you love how legal structure can just change everything? It just makes me happy. <laughs> makes me crazy. <laughs> Uh, and I'll tell you, legal structure and tax structure. Tax structure really tax structure, makes me crazy. That's a whole other situation. Because you get you get taxes that are wrong and that are wrongly applied, and and basically whatever you tax, you theoretically get less of. Right? You're consuming a chunk of that thing. And um, one of the things that makes real estate very very interesting and um, and sometimes a little sketchy is that if they ever change the tax laws around real estate, real estate would go right in the toilet in terms of real estate values, because so much of the value of, of real estate is sort of mal-investment. It's done for the purpose of avoiding taxes or writing off taxes on some other income. <laughs> mal-investment. I was wondering where you were going with that particular yeah. word. Is that, a, is that an industry term? Is that a term of art or is that a film? No, that's, no, that's an industry term, the tax law. Mal-investment, I yeah. like it. Tax law creates malinvestment um, because uh, just take the average person's home. And, and by the way, the, the, the purpose of, of uh, providing this tax benefit is, of course, to help the homeowner. That's always the purpose of the government. Just want to point out that that's the same purpose for people like we we're talking about who are getting student loans. The purpose is to help the student. And, of course, it ends up screwing the student by having uh, the underlying uh, product that you're buying just goes up and up and up if there's infinite money to buy it. Same thing happens with real estate. Um, back when my dad had me when I was a baby in 1948, you <laughs> could buy a home, a starter home in a nice area of Portland, Oregon for $5,000. And that's what my dad made in one year as a bookkeeper for Standard Oil is made $5,000. So if you just do apples to apples and say, okay, what can you buy in Portland, Oregon right now on a bookkeeper's salary of $36,000 a year? Yeah. And the answer is nothing. Nothing. Yeah. Not, not a starter home in a nice neighborhood, not, not even close. For that, you're looking at $250,000. So it went from being a house being one times a bookkeeper's salary to being something in the neighborhood of eight times a bookkeeper's salary. Um, while inflation in other ways only has gone up once and a half or twice in that same period of time. So that, you know, the, the apples to apples comparison here is just a nightmare for homeowners who can no longer afford a home. And why is that? In part because of taxation, making it um, really a, a, a really smart thing to buy a home 
in an after-tax point of view than to rent. Mm -hmm. And so you dislocate the whole market. So so interesting to think about. I can't I don't know where you could buy a proper home for a, like not, you know, not some tiny little place, but like a proper home for a family for $36,000. I mean, maybe like in the Detroit. middle of nowhere. <laughs> you can go to Detroit. I, I was thinking like like the woods in North Carolina. <laughs> I don't know. No. There's there's mm. the middle of Wyoming. Maybe you could. I don't know. Maybe, yeah, maybe. Well, you're going to get some letters on that one. I'll tell you that. You can write Danielle for where she can go to get a $36,000 house. Please, I would like to know. Maybe I should buy one. So let's go on with REITs. We've got uh, lodging REITs, which means hotels, motels. Um, those are also built as REITs. And then residential REITs by, you know, uh, individual residents and rent those out to tenants. And uh, man, residential REITs exploded in 2008 and 2009 when real estate crashed, of course. Smart money moves into that area, looking at an event, seeing that there's a huge dislocation, a lot of fear around the idea of, uh, of these homes that uh, people bought at too high a price and they got foreclosed on. And man, they, they grabbed off thousands of them, these big hedge fund guys. Um, you can buy timber as a REIT. Like, Wait, now you're confusing me. Yep. You can buy timber as a REIT. Somehow, Warehouser and these other big timber companies got themselves into the REIT world. Well, is it like the land that the timber is on? Sure. And then you oh. harvest the, the, the trees. Yeah, okay. Well, that means... Cash flow. <laughs> You said that in a very obtuse kind of way. <laughs> well, it's sort of like, oh, well, can we do anything as a REIT here almost, you know? Is well, anything that involves land, I guess. Apparently we can. And so there's also REITs that focus on healthcare. Um, so you're out there doing senior living communities and hospitals. And, and you've seen all these medical office buildings going up. Some of those are put together as mm -hmm. REITs. Um, Self-storage. Uh, a lot of storage facilities are built as REITs. Infrastructure REITs, those are things like, uh, gosh, data centers, telecommunication towers. <laughs> those, those go out as REITs. And then you have REITs that diversify across a mix of these kinds of things. So there's literally, I think there's 350 different REITs out there, and you can find one of them for just about anything, including very specific residential properties, maybe for just California or just New York. You know, And the beauty of them is you don't have to clean toilets and you can own real estate. Even more beautiful than that is if you've got $100 or $1,000, let us say $1,000, you're not going to be buying a lot of real estate, but you can buy <laughs> you can buy a REIT with 1000 bucks. So we just thought we'd you know, kind of show you that really in the stock market, pretty much anything you could identify as a potential investment is something that somebody has taken a company, uh, structured it to do that particular kind of investing, and owns those kinds of properties and put it into the stock market as a public company. So the diversification potential is enormous. The The ability to search through thousands of different kinds of businesses is right there for you now. And uh, the kind of liquidity that you have by putting money into a REIT um, that you can buy instantly right now with $1,000 and you can sell it in two weeks, that liquidity is astonishing when it comes to something like real estate, which you cannot do that with. Yeah, no kidding. That's a huge difference from buying it on your own. Yeah. Massive. 
And so, you know, you go, let's go through uh, Charlie's principles here with a real estate investment trust and see if we can make sense out of it. So the first thing is, what do we got to do? We got to be capable of understanding the thing. Okay, cool. So. Um, yeah. And that that's the one where I was, I was saying a little earlier, like, I just, I'd want to look and see what kind of information they provide because it seems like there would be a lot of potential to um, not give much information to investors. Yeah, I, you know, a potential for to not give a lot of information to investors. I, listen, the truth is, when you're a public company, you're giving more information to people than they would ever possibly want. You know, you can constantly get this tremendous flow of information. You get tremendous liquidity. All major advantages of being in the in the public markets. So, for example, if I wanted to invest in um, real estate around college campuses. Mm -hmm. Might be a smart thing to do. I've got a little bit of money. I can go out and buy one house near the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. And it would cost me about a million dollars because, you know, people recognize that's going to be a long-term great place to have a house and rent it off to, to college kids. And you could try to make sense out of that. Or you could go with, let's say, American campus communities. Now, I'm not recommending these guys. I don't know anything about them. Um, but I'm going to go over and take a look at them. I just look it up. First, I can Google REIT, R-E-I-T, and it gets to a REIT website um, called REIT.com. And then on that, I can scroll down till I get to residential REITs and click on a link. That'll take me over to a list of residential REITs. And then I can just go down the list and I see the second one on the list is American Campus Communities. Well, they're in Austin, Texas. They do, um, I presume, pretty much college kid kinds of places. And I'm clicking on their link. It says American Campus Communities. And it says bringing student housing to life. And it looks like at Arizona State, they're uh, redeveloping Manzanita Hall. And um, at Butler University, they're doing groundbreaking on the Sunset Student Residences, a state-of-the-art 600-bed sophomore resident hall. I mean, we can invest <laughs> in all this stuff. It was really great. I mean, it's so easy and it's this so This actually effortless. sounds kind of fun. I feel like I'm capable of understanding this one. All right. So now we got to do into it. Yeah, we got to we got to dig in a little bit and see if uh, the price that we're paying for the REIT properly reflects the value of the real estate it's buying. Well, let me just add one more thing on being capable of understanding. Okay, so I can understand what they're actually doing. They're buying or they're building dorm rooms or dorm buildings. Fine. I get that. Um, the the larger question is is real estate a good thing to invest in in a macro sense right now like that's my next thought is okay what's going on with real estate across the country like i don't know what's happening with real estate in texas besides just generally what's happening in the country with real estate so that's that's where i would go next with my research of um and, and to try to figure out if i'm really capable of knowing what's going on in these areas where they're building yeah, and, and you'd look at this company and say, okay, well, where are you guys building? And you'll see that they're building all over America with the one thing in common being that they're doing it with universities. Yeah. So then you'd say, okay, are universities going to have more students at the universities, let's say at Arizona State, in uh, the year 2040, that, you know, 25 years from now, than they have today? Will there be as big or bigger demand on housing for kids in 25 years as it is today. 
And you know what? You could really get the numbers on that. You could see what the the you know the number of people coming up uh, who are going to be going to college. You could see what that size would be. Is it bigger than today? You could ask yourself: Will America be more or less interested in having students be really well educated in the future? You know, you you just ask yourself these questions. Um, the way Warren Buffett would ask questions about John Deere tractor: Will they? Will they be producing more or less food in America in 20 years? And yeah, you know, that's, well, and that's all like, you are, ask. are we in a real estate bubble right now, too? That's my other that's my other question now that I've lived through. Sure, exactly. Um, uh, you'd want to evaluate um, what these students are doing, but I think you could kind of say that if we we're just looking at a macro, I would just say, look, I. The, the chances of America having lower student dorm prices in 20 years are one chance in a thousand, maybe. And 999 chances in a thousand is going to be more expensive to go to school and to pay for your dorm in 20 years than it is today. Yeah, sure. I, I mean, you just, you just, yeah, yeah, I get it. You with me? I mean, it's yeah. not rocket science. So. I just think like that's probably what's going to happen. So you basically are going to invest that that's likely. And why is that likely? Because it's likely the federal government will continue a policy of inflation for as long as forever. And you know, the only thing that's going to change that <laughs> is if we go to a gold standard. That's the only way that changes. <clears throat> why do you why do you look at 20 years out? Well, because we we want to buy everything we're going to buy as if we're never going to sell it. We, we want to build a portfolio for our retirement that is absolutely brain dead, requires no to, to almost no maintenance and just pays <laughs> us money forever. We want to own everything free and clear. We don't want to have debt. We want to just have this this retirement portfolio that's just feeding us cash for the rest of our life. And we'll keep up with inflation or even do better than inflation so that. Done properly, a retirement portfolio built along the lines that, that we, we try to build them will be producing more money for you when you're 90 than it did when you're 65. That would be a good retirement portfolio. And that way you'll stay ahead of inflation and you won't ever have these worries of running out of money and having your kids take you in. And that's what most people want in retirement. The problem is that if you just put money in the stock market or just stick it out there um, without any with, with you know the principles that are followed by most financial advisors, most people will not be able to have that kind of security because they don't have enough money going in. Yeah. You know, yeah. to you know if you're, you're making, let's say you're making five percent a year and you've got inflation ticking along at three point two percent or three point five percent, you're increasing your money at one and a half percent per year in terms of its buying power, but you're using it up at much faster paces than that to stay alive. And you end up running out of money when you're 80 or 78 or whatever. So um, that's why that's why people are interested in investing. It's not because most people love the idea. It's because we <laughs> don't have a choice. Um, given, yes. Given that is that is very true. Yeah. I think for everyone listening. Um, so, okay, so I interrupted you on the understanding bit, and you were going on to the price. Yeah. So. Obviously, you want a moat um, with these buildings, just like you want one with Chipotle Grill, right? And if you're building campus housing, that's a pretty good moat, right? There's a restricted market. Um, the universities are going to do, do it with you, um, and they're not going to do it with just everybody. It's not impossible that it could be a lot of building, 
but um, typically that's a very good moat. You're just focused on that one area. Nicely done. So yeah, you got a good, you got intrinsic characteristics that protect you from competition in that deal. You assume that the, let's assume for a second that the management team is good. Then what's, what's a margin of safety look like with real estate, right? And the answer is that real estate investment trusts follow uh, fear and greed in the market, just like any other company does. And there are times when Everybody knows you can't make any money in real estate and everybody bails out of real estate investment trusts. Um, when they, you know, it, it happened in the early 1980s, you could buy real estate investment trust for a discount to the price that those things had paid for their real estate, which is, remember, we put the real estate on the books at the price we paid for it. Yeah. If you're getting a discount to that, that's a pretty good deal. And then, you know, there's a time when everybody knows you can make a fortune in real estate like we had in 2006. And in that case, you have real estate investment trusts going out there and buying buildings at stupidly high prices. And um, and the the price of oh, the- I was trying to figure out what happened in 2006 that made real estate be so cheap. But you were saying, you're saying it's not that it was cheap. It was just that everybody thought they could make money. Yeah, everybody thought they could make money and it was actually yeah. really expensive. Yeah, 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 okay. You know? so we've <laughs> talked about cap rates a little bit in the past. I mean. You know, real estate investment trusts like, uh, you know, that are buying, let's say, shopping centers started off buying those shopping centers uh, in, let's say, 1980s for a cap rate of maybe eight to 10. Um, in other words, if they bought $1,000 of real estate, they were getting $100 of net income. Um, and then by, by 2006, they were buying those same, those, you know, shopping centers for, Instead of getting $100 of income, they're getting $30 of income. Hmm. So they're paying three times more for the real estate than they'd be paying 30 years earlier or 20 years earlier. So it goes through these long cycles. And what we want to do is we want to buy uh, REITs when they're at the bottom of a cycle and we can buy the assets for cheaper than the company paid for those assets. We don't want to buy them at the top of the cycle when we're paying a premium that the actual price of the company is a substantial uh premium to the actual price of the real estate that they own. So one of the ways that we can judge that is by the yield that comes in from the REIT, like the dividend that they pay is some percentage of what we paid for their stock. So for example, if I were to go over and buy a, a REIT like, um, and full disclosure here, uh, our family owns a big chunk of this company, <laughs> Armada Hoffler, which is a REIT, Melissa's uh family owns a big, big chunk of this thing. Um, and Armada Hoffler has shopping centers, office parks, industrial and residential. They're a diversified REIT in a very specific area of Virginia, Washington, D.C., all the way down south to Atlanta. And um, these guys, I think, and this is my opinion, don't take this as advice. You have to go out and do your own homework. But I think this guy, the guys that run this company are extremely good, extremely honest, and uh, a great management team. And right now you can buy that and get a 6% dividend, hmm. which is, you know. That sounds, that sounds pretty good considering our real estate discussion last time of 5% being good, 6% being pretty good, 7% being pretty good, 8% being really good. Exactly. Well thought. And that's exactly Yes, thank you. That's my, my very professional scale of goodness. <laughs> So you 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 are seeing that 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 money has a certain price for it and and that six they're they're actually at about six and a half percent 
And just a few months ago, they were at eight. You could get you could have got that thing at eight um, briefly, and then the price bounced up. So if you pick your spots, you can pick off really good. Yeah, real I'm sorry, I'm confused trust. now. You said that there was a six percent dividend, and now you've right. just said something about they're at eight. Oh, does they were that, at eight. Eight percent dividend. The price is oh. Yeah. So in other words, when the price of this was at at uh, nine dollars a share, right now it's at about ten fifty. When this was at nine dollars a share, and it's still yielding, um, you know, whatever, like seventy cents, sixty eight cents a share. So nine divided into sixty eight is uh, it's seven and a half percent. So I guess it didn't get quite to eight. So at one point in time, you could get a seven and a half percent yield on your purchase of uh, Armada Hoffler. And now it's about six and a half percent because the price has gone up a little bit. So they're still paying the same actual dollar value right. on their dividend. It's just that their price has gone up. Right. Their price of the stock has gone up. But it's it. still a pretty darn good price, right? And it turns out that if Armada Hoffler does what they think they're going to do, they will be increasing that yield, you know, ballpark 10% per year or so. So you buy it, but you just buy it once. So if you buy it today, let's say for $10, and you're getting $6.50, then in another year, you might be getting, um, instead of getting six fifty. sorry, did I say six fifty? Yeah, I was like, 60, what? $0.65. Cents. <laughs> $0.65, cents, and then, then, you know, in a year or so, you might be getting 71 And then in another year, you might be getting 78 And then another year, so if you go out five years from now, or 10 years from now, let's say, let's say uh, 10 years, from now, they'll have doubled one and a half times. So they'll be getting 130 and about seven. So 10 years from now, they might be getting something like $2 yield uh, coming off of this investment if everybody everything works out really well on an investment you paid $10 for. Yeah. So yeah. every year you're getting 20 bucks for every $10 you put into that thing. And every year that gets bigger if these guys continue to do their job well. No reason to think that they can't. They've been at it a long time. Every year that grows. Every single year that grows. And your retirement is going, ideally, to be based on a group of these kinds of companies that are growing their yield that you bought years earlier and which you're going to keep forever. Which is why we look out 20 years into the future to try to see, gosh, if I buy this one, do these guys have the headroom to grow at this rate for the next, you know, forever, basically 20 years, 30 years, whatever, um, so that I know that I'm going to keep getting this increasing, increasing dividend yield over and over and over again. And it's growing over and over and over. And I can keep ahead of inflation. I can keep ahead of health care costs. I can end up with more money than I, when I'm 85 than I have when I'm 65. That's cool. what we target. Okay. So I'm hearing real estate is fine to invest in. You've got to apply the same principles, capable of understanding the intrinsic characteristics, give it a moat, good management. If you're buying your own real estate, you're the manager and getting it at a price with a margin of safety. You've got to do all those things if you're buying actual real estate yourself. And then you've got to do the same things if you buy it through a REIT. Yep. You got to do the same things if you buy it through a REIT and you have... Uh, probably a better opportunity to buy REITs on sale and get really good properties when real estate is not popular. Um, and equally, you have an opportunity to buy REITs at a stupid high price, and you would never want to do that if you have some sense of you know the overall value of the business. 
So you treat them just like a regular company, but they are real estate. And for that reason, probably easier to understand than a lot of other kinds of businesses out there. And a very, very good choice at the right price for something that will stay in your portfolio f un uh, until you die. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Well, I think we have so, to kind of wrap it up on that, don't you? Yeah, I think that's good. So our other um, our other items to discuss of not although we've just been discussing the stock market, but our other non stock market things are bonds, um, alternate currencies like gold and silver, and commodities. Yeah, well, let's get so into we should, those. We should get into those next time. Nothing to it. Short discussion. Wrap them right out. <laughs> you guys will have it. And we'll rock and roll on to the next thing. So uh, until then, I think it's time to go. Time to go play. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Bye. you guys. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to Invested, the Rule One podcast. If you like this episode, you can always get our show notes and more details and links to the resources we discussed at investedpodcast.com. Also, as long as you're online, head on over to investedpodcast.com slash workshop for details on an upcoming three-day live workshop that I'm hosting all you got to do is enter the special podcast code STOCKPILE, that's S-T-O-C-K-P-I-L-E, STOCKPILE, into the application form, and you guys can attend for free. So everything discussed on this show is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion, and it is not to be taken as investment advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I really do hope you've enjoyed it. So until next week, it's time to go play. See ya.